Hello and welcome to American Catholic History, brought to you by the support of listeners like you. If you value this content and wish to see it continue, which we hope you do, please become a supporter at AmericanCatholicHistory.org slash support. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. We start once again with a word of thanks for our supporters, especially Catherine S., Bridget J., Judy B., Nathan A., Rock K., Joan S., Paul B., James M., Meadowbrook, and Julia L. Thank you so much. Yes. Your support makes this podcast possible, and we continue to ask for more. We're only about 20-25% of the way to the amount of support we need to really make this podcast a sustainable project. So if you've enjoyed these episodes, if you've learned something, if you've been inspired or edified or helped in your faith, please, please consider becoming a supporter. You can learn about our support tiers at AmericanCatholicHistory.org slash support. The lowest tier is just $5 each month, just $5. But for more each month, you'll get extra perks like our mugs and our new stickers that we just got. Absolutely. They're great. (laughs) So that said, and thank you all for your support. On with the show. Today, we're talking about the great American writer Edgar Allan Poe and his unexpected sympathy with Catholicism. Poe, of course, penned many well-known poems such as The Raven and Annabelle Lee. He pioneered the form of the short story with tales like The Telltale Heart and A Cask of Amontillado. He was a major figure in the development of science fiction with stories like The Unparalleled Adventures of One Hans Fall and The Balloon Hoax, and he invented the detective novel with his classic Murders at the Rue Morgue and the recurring character of C. Auguste Dupin. But there are two things that grab our attention. First is the two years towards the end of his life that he spent living near Fordham University, then called St. John College. While there, he spent many days and evenings with the Jesuits, and they were very important to him. Also, and perhaps even more striking, is a poem he wrote in 1835, originally called Catholic Hymn. This poem is a rather lovely poem and prayer to the Blessed Mother. Now, I was really surprised by this when I first heard about it, because Poe, of course, is mostly known for his tendency toward horror and the macabre. He wrote about despair, paranoia, suspense, torment, and death. Yeah, well, another reason it's surprising is because of the times. Poe was writing in the first half of the 19th century. Catholics were still very much in the minority in the U.S., and Catholicism was usually misunderstood and attacked. And of course, among the most commonly attacked parts of Catholicism is our understanding of Mary and her place in heaven. So this was both daring on Poe's part, writing during that time when he did, and it was odd considering the subject matter he normally dealt with. Right. But to be honest, I'm I'm actually not all surprised that he had an interest in Catholicism precisely because of that tendency toward the macabre and the interplay between the natural and the supernatural. Catholicism is unique in the way it respects the physical realm and marries it to the supernatural. That's true, uh, especially through our sacraments, in particular the Blessed Sacrament itself, as well as the importance of sacramentals like holy water and, of course, relics. Right. And also, Catholicism alone holds a proper respect for the powers of demons, fallen angels, of course, to influence and even to possess people and things. No other faith tradition has exorcists like we do, with prayers and rituals invoking God's power that the dark spirits be cast out. Those rituals include the use of physical things like holy water. So, for those seriously dealing with themes of death, 
darkness and sin like Poe did, Catholicism would have a draw. How Poe came into contact with Catholicism isn't entirely clear, but by 26 years old, he had a pretty good grasp on some important parts of it. Yes, and that was long before he came into regular contact with the Jesuits at St. John College. Right, but now we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit. Let's give some details about his life so we can explore all of this more deeply and not lose anyone. Sure. So, Edgar Poe was born in 1809 in Boston, Massachusetts. Both of his parents were actors. He had an older brother and a younger sister. One year after his birth, their father abandoned the family, and a year after that, when Edgar was just two years old, his mother died of tuberculosis. So, trauma was kind of built into his life from a very early and formative age. He was taken in by a merchant named John Allen and his wife. They added their name into his, naming him Edgar Allan Poe. But they never actually adopted him formally, which could have been another source of angst for him. The Allens were Episcopalian and had Edgar baptized in that faith in 1812 and raised him nominally Episcopalian, though he never really took to it. The Allens moved to England in 1815 and lived there for five years before settling in Richmond, Virginia in 1820. Edgar got a good education, which included the classics as well as French and Latin. In 1826, he enrolled at the University of Virginia, but he only lasted for a year. Gambling debts and drinking led to dropping out, as well as estrangement from his foster father, John Allen. He moved to Boston, where he wished to become a writer. He had a hard road ahead because hardly anyone was even attempting to make a living strictly as a writer in the American economy at that point, and practically no one was successful at it. The U.S. was still just 50 years old at this point. Thomas Jefferson and John Adams had just died, and Charles Carroll of Carrollton was in the last decade of his long life. He joined the military for a time, even entering West Point with the support of his foster father, but that didn't work out. However, during his brief military career, he published his first two books, and his third came out shortly after he left the military. At this point, he dedicated himself entirely to writing. He had poems and stories published in various publications and took on jobs as editor uh, over a few years, even starting his own journal. In 1835, he married his 13-year-old cousin, Virginia Clem. If you were counting, that means he was 26. And he also published a short story called Morella. Morella is interesting for a couple of reasons. First, it deals with themes of the occult and black magic, and its rituals show a knowledge of Catholic sacramental theology. Also, it was the original home of the poem Catholic Hymn. The poem was removed from the text when Poe published a new version of the story in 1842, and it was published as a standalone poem in 1845. But in the original version of Morella, Poe puts this lovely prayer to the Blessed Mother in the mouth of a main character who is named Morella. Morella is dying, and she is pregnant, and she knows that she will die in childbirth. Morella has a dark scheme for immortality. She plans to have her spirit possess the body of her infant daughter. Her husband, who is the narrator of the story, is involved in this diabolical plot. After the child is born and Morella dies, he refuses to give his daughter a name. This lasts until her baptism, at which point he feels the tug of demons compelling him to name her Morella. He utters the name, and immediately his dead wife's spirit possesses the child's body, and she dies again. But when he carries his daughter's lifeless body to the tomb where his wife is buried, he finds no remains of the first Morella. 
Typical pile. Seriously. But again, the text reveals a knowledge about Catholic themes. In an essay that was written about Poe and Catholicism, the essayist Stephen Mirarchi shows that Morella and her husband conducted a black ritual that is, a, that is essentially an inversion of the Blessed Sacrament and the self-sacrifice of Christ. Hey, Mirachi argues that Poe's treatment of the topic and details is so daft and so evocative of Catholic sacraments that he had to have had more than a typical Protestant misunderstanding of what Catholics really believe about the Blessed Sacrament. And the poem, Catholic Hymn, as we said before, really shows an understanding of Mariology that a true blue Protestant wouldn't dare to pen. Right. And, and here's the poem so our listeners can understand what we're talking about. At morn, at noon, at twilight dim, Maria, thou hast heard my hymn. In joy and woe, in good and ill, Mother of God, be with me still. When the hours flew brightly by, And not a cloud obscured the sky, My soul, lest it should truant be, Thy grace did guide to thine and thee. Now, when storms of fate o'ercast, Darkly my present and my past, Let my future radiant shine, with sweet hopes of thee and thine. It's very lovely. Yeah, it really is. I might work that into my rotation of poems that I pray with. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yes, it clearly comes from a Catholic look at Mary and Marian devotion. Certainly. He opens mentioning the three times when the Angelus is prayed, morning, noon, and twilight. The Angelus, of course, is an unmistakably Marian prayer, which kind of makes Protestants itchy. Second, he refers to her as Mother of God. Now that title dates to the fourth century, making it among the earliest things that Christians agreed upon. But Protestants still generally rejected as too Catholic or deifying Mary. Yeah. And third, Poe refers to thee and thine and to thine and thee. This clearly ties Mary to her divine son and makes plain that prayer to Mary is prayer to Jesus through Mary. No fine upstanding Protestant of the 1830s America would recognize prayer to Mary as actually being a prayer to Jesus. So in this poem, Poe exhibits a rather keen understanding of how Catholics see Mary and how devotion to Mary works. The poem was known as Catholic Hymn for many years until Poe removed Catholic from the title, just publishing it as Hymn. But the Catholicism is unmistakable. A sense of things Catholic also comes through in his most well-known poem, The Raven. The narrator of this poem is longing for his lost love, Lenore. He is sitting in his chamber on a bleak December night. The curtains in his chamber are purple, evoking Advent, December, and purple, and the, you know, which the vestments that adorn the sanctuary during the Advent season are, of course, purple. Partway through the poem, he opens his door to darkness. And immediately after, the figure of the raven is introduced. The raven, with its macabre invocation of nevermore, proceeds to ascend and alight upon the bust of Athena Pallas, which the narrator keeps above his chamber door. In this way, the figure of evil, Poe already neatly identified the raven with the spirit of evil, has superseded the figure of knowledge and wisdom. And beneath it is the doorway to darkness. As the narrator finally descends to despair of ever seeing his love again, he imagines that he smells something like incense from an unseen censer or thurible swung by an angel whose footfalls tinkled on the floor. This is a fairly obvious reference to the mass as the incense and tinkling bells figure into the most sacred moments. 
The narrator eventually moves his chair to be squarely in front of that assemblage, the open doorway surmounted by the conquered bust of Athena. By the end of the poem, he has descended into the darkness, the implication being that the gate of hell, that open doorway, has prevailed against the liturgy that has been his longing for Lenore. There are other poems like The Bells that pretty neatly draw on Catholic things. But again, there's no clear idea of where he got his grasp of Catholicism earlier in his life. Later in his life, it would have made more sense because, like we said at the outset, he spent about two years starting in 1846 living in the Fordham Village area of the Bronx, very near St. John College. His wife had contracted tuberculosis, so they moved out to the countryside. The Bronx was mostly farm country at this point, to find cleaner air and less congestion for her. Unfortunately, the change didn't help much. She died at the end of January 1847. Poe was deeply grieved and took solace walking the grounds around his cottage, which took him onto the grounds of Fordham, again, then called St. John College. As an aside, St. John College was only five years old at this point. It had been founded in 1841 by the Bishop of New York, a person we've talked about in previous episodes and will certainly talk about again in many more episodes, Dagger John Hughes. Hughes founded St. John because he knew the importance of good education for the largely uneducated mass of Irish that was crashing on the American shores in those days. But St. John College at Fordham and the Jesuits who ran it were there for Edgar Allan Poe when he needed them. On his walks, he encountered the Jesuits, and he got to know a number of them. One in particular, Father Edward Doucette, became a frequent companion to Poe and would walk with him. Father Doucette became something like a spiritual director to him, helping him through the dark time of grieving for his dead wife. Poe would often have dinner and spend the evening with the Jesuits. He would return home late and occasionally stay at the campus when he couldn't bear to return to his empty cottage. One Jesuit wrote, it seemed to soothe his mind to wander at will about the lawn and the beautiful grounds back of the college buildings. The Jesuits appreciated Poe. One said he was a familiar figure at the college. Another said it was one of Poe's greatest gifts that he could make friends wherever he went. To know him was to love him. It was a pleasure to see him and still more to listen to him. Poe, for his part, very much appreciated the Jesuits. He called them highly cultivated gentlemen and scholars. He said, they smoked and they drank and played cards and never said a word about religion. We hopefully can take that to mean they didn't overtly and aggressively proselytize, but instead softly witness and invited him to share their faith. Yeah, we hope. <laughs> but all that aside, the point is the Jesuits of Fordham were an important part of Edgar Allan Poe's later life, and they were there for him after his beloved wife died in the same horrible manner as his mother. Poe himself wouldn't live much longer. On October 3rd, 1849, he was found semi-conscious and incoherent on the streets of Baltimore. He was taken to a hospital, but he never became conscious enough to explain how he came to be there, why he was in somebody else's clothes, or what had happened to him. He died on October 7th, and the cause of his death has never been determined. His little cottage near Fordham still stands. It fell into disuse and disrepair and was nearly demolished as the Bronx grew up around it. Now it sits in a small park surrounded by the multiple paved lanes of two major traffic arteries in the Bronx, Poe's bucolic getaway, that place that brought him so much solace, is an oasis in the midst of a sea of asphalt, concrete, 
and glass. How unprosaic. I think he'd get an ironic kick out of it and write something awful but beautiful about the town if he were alive now. Poe's influence on horror poetry and American literature in general can hardly be overstated. The Mystery Writers of America named their annual award for excellence after him. Jules Verne and H.G. Wells both took inspiration from him and wrote follow-up books to some of his. And of course, the entire world of detective fiction, Sherlock Holmes, Hercule Poirot, Lord Peter Whimsey, Miss Marples, Adam Dogleash, and even Encyclopedia Brown wouldn't exist without Poe. But perhaps the most important and missed undercurrent of Poe's complex and tormented character was his struggle with the beauty of Mary and the sacramental outlook of Catholicism. He never converted to Catholicism, and we have no idea about the circumstances of his death. We can just hope that Mary did hear his cry and she helped guide him in his last hours to her son, whose company he pleaded for so beautifully in his Catholic hymn. This has been American Catholic History. If you enjoy American Catholic History, please become a supporter. We've got great perks for supporters, including exclusive content, books, mugs, and personal conversations. Get information on how to become a supporter and the perks at AmericanCatholicHistory.org support. Also on our website, sign up for our newsletter, learn more about our upcoming pilgrimages like our pilgrimage next August to the Kentucky Holy Land and Bourbon Country, learn more about the Catholic side of Edgar Allan Poe, and find other episodes that you might be interested in. We love getting your feedback and suggestions for episodes. You can email us at feedback at AmericanCatholicHistory.org, find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash AmericanCatholicHistory, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow us on Twitter at ACH1513. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History, made possible by listeners like you. Music